0: I've convinced myself in that moment, you're not going to finish. This is where you fail. You're so dumb for being out here. Who do you think you are to think you could climb 27,000 feet and do this unsupported? It's really shaped how I view running and how I view my own strength and capability. And also in some ways, my lightness about it. I don't go as dark or as negative as easily. The less stress around it, the less overanalyzing it, it just became easier. I go into these really nice euphoric states for a while where everything feels so freaking magical. I think we should try and find ways to be less ashamed of our humanness. That's what ultra running gifted me was be less ashamed of being human.
1: Hi, this is Elise Mason here with Jamie King. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shiny Objects. This has been a year that has tested us again and again on our capacity to endure. How many months of restricted social and economic life can we endure? Can we outlast quarantine fatigue? How long are we going to wait on Nevada and Pennsylvania to finish counting ballots? So, in celebration of the endurance athletes that we've all become, whether we like it or not, I'm interviewing Jamie, our resident ultramarathoner, about logging the miles and talking herself out of dark, dreary places. Even if you don't run hundreds of miles for fun, there's something we can all learn from her sport right now. Thanks for being here. hello hello hi
0: Jamie how are you should I just go with the word of choice as or as usual word choice fine
1: (laughs) fine yeah I think that feels like a fine word to use today
0: it's fine I feel like if you say it's too you know really great it just feels wrong (laughs) <laughs> and if you need to do that, if you do feel really great, I'm happy for you. It just doesn't coming out naturally for me in this moment <laughs> right now. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Saying you feel great in this moment feels a little bit tone deaf. And I'm not going to begrudge anyone for feeling great. I'm really happy for you and I want your secrets. But it does feel like a weird thing to say.
0: Yeah. I definitely don't feel great. I feel fine.
1: <laughs> Here we are. We're still fine.
0: fine. I know. Fine. Fine. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> such a weird word to say when you say it over and over. It sounds very strange. But yeah, something that has me feeling at least pleased with myself. I don't. I wouldn't say great. And this is my part of my unimportant important news is on the year of epic desserts or. 2020, which I find myself eating more dessert and in the early parts consuming way too much more alcohol than I normally would. So in the year <laughs> of dessert and alcohol consumption, I discovered these this new little dessert snack. It's these little like cookie dough containers. Um, they look like a yogurt container, but it's cookie dough. And it's made out of like garbanzo bean flour and it's called Pia Snacks. And the chocolate one, it's like a sort of brownie cookie, is real good. My only complaint, and I will take it up with them (laughs) at some point, is I just wish they would do it in a container that was like a large container so that you wouldn't feel so bad about the the packaging. But the taste is really good. And they're like a healthier version of just like eating straight up cookie dough. And it's encouraged that you're supposed to just eat it with a spoon, it's not like a bake situation but I've been enjoying that as like a change into my usual dessert routine
1: (laughs) oh these sound delicious yeah yeah
0: they're pretty good I I I have to say I was a little skeptical because they're like healthy-ish but they're good Casey likes them too
1: okay that's a winning endorsement this is the year to be exploring new dessert and new alcohol options
0: (laughs) it sure is And I've been doing a great deal of exploring, let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have been digging into every nook and cranny of the jumbo size Halloween candy bag that I oh. bought a few weeks mm. ago. I'm really being careful to excavate all of the Snickers out of that bag.
0: I like your commitment. Uh,
1: yeah, if there's one thing I'm going to do right in 2020, I'm going to eat all those Snickers.
0: That shows incredible strength and endurance.
1: Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Speaking of exploring options, this is my unimportant, important news for you today. I had this weird burst of Pinterest mom energy this weekend, which for those of you who don't know my parenting style, it's on the opposite end of the Pinterest (laughs) spectrum. (laughs) But I follow this Instagram account called Busy Toddler, and she has all these great activities for toddlers that keep them busy. And a few weeks ago I tried one and I picked the one that is the lowest threshold for work, etc. Basically you fill up a bucket with soap and water, put it outside and let your kids wash their toys. Oh. And genius. I was like this is not going to work when I first tried it, but it worked and my kids have literally spent hours for the last couple weeks washing their toys. They love it.
0: That's fantastic. So
1: it's amazing. So I was like, okay, maybe this mom, this busy toddler mom is onto something. So I decided to up-level this last weekend. I decided to try like level two of this activity, which is (laughs) painting your toys. Oh God. Washable paint. This is why I was like, I can handle trying this. You still use a big plastic bucket, a big plastic storage container. You put the toys in there. You like drop some paint in there for them, just like a little palette. And then let them paint. And then you wash everything off, including the kids, Mm -hmm. with the hose before you let them back
0: inside. Oh, we're not in hose season anymore. I (laughs) so cold. I'm
1: jealous. Let me tell you, I tried this and I was so proud of myself because I set the whole thing up outside. And I was like, if this works even half as well as washing toys works, I'm going to be kicking back with a cocktail every afternoon while my kids play. Because they're so absorbed in the washing toys activity. And let me just say that I should have trusted myself knowing what my particular capacity for Pinterest momming is because, oh my God, it ended up with them painting our entire yard, (laughs) like painting our outdoor furniture, painting the plants. And it's washable, but only if you get it off right away, if it's on furniture or something. Mm -hmm. So... I was like chasing after them with a scrub brush and soap, trying to scrub out anything they did. And then I'd be like, put everything down. I became that crazy mom who was like, just put it down and don't touch anything. And (laughs) it was a lot more stressful than I had planned for it to be. So lesson learned, stick to washing toys. We are not painting in this household. That's why I send them to school in normal times.
0: Yeah, that's really funny because I, as you know about me, but others might not know, I am not a Pinterest mom by any stretch. And also I don't do arts and crafts. My version of arts and crafts is a coloring book and crayons. And that's about my aptitude for arts and crafts. However, one afternoon recently, I had this brilliant idea. I was needing something to do. And we had a bunch of pumpkins. We went to a pumpkin patch. And I brought all the pumpkins up onto the patio and I let my kiddo pick a pumpkin or a couple pumpkins that he wanted to decorate. And I went inside and found all this random stuff I had, like puffy paints and googly eyes and like washi tape. And we decorated pumpkins and it was so much fun. And he was so into it. We were literally out there for hours and yeah, it was so easy. And it was like very low key mess. The puffy paints are a little messy, but they're really like, not that bad. And he kept them on the pumpkins. He didn't try to paint anything else. And yeah, it felt like one of those wins where I was like, ah, look at you with an idea. Look at you decorating something.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, you did it. You did one that worked.
0: Yeah. And it was like, yeah. And the funny part was, is now you see, if you see our pumpkins, you would laugh. They look, They're like crazy pumpkins, but I love them because they have character. (laughs) A pumpkin with 800 eyes and some strange things going on with a Sharpie. I don't even know. It's just, it's all kinds of weird. And I think it's great.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is so good. I'm so pleased to hear this. Congratulations. That's a big deal.
0: I basically walked around all that evening patting myself on the back and I was like, what a great activity. genius that's amazing we were out there for a really long time I just could not stop telling Casey my partner about it because I was so pleased with myself and I wanted someone else to be pleased with me so thank you for being pleased with me
1: (laughs) oh I'm so pleased and I understand I'm still so proud of myself for the washing toys activity (laughs) I keep mentioning it I'm like oh look Nathan they're still washing my toys
0: what a good mom (laughs) I am (laughs) oh it's so funny toddlers man it's tiring
1: they are the ultimate endurance sport
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's so true there's days where seriously I find myself thinking could you just stop stop moving for five seconds stop asking me questions for five seconds like just chill kid can you chill but he has literally none
1: yeah no chill oh my gosh so you're an endurance athlete You run hundreds of miles all the time. So tell me, how does parenting a toddler really compare to one of the endurance events that you do that's not parenting related?
0: You know, okay, so this is a funny thing, but I always really feared that having kids or having a kid in general would, would squash my endurance abilities or I don't know, would this just. Not be conducive to me being an ultra runner anymore. I had this idea that, like, once I went down that path, it was a point of no return. And in some ways, it isn't 100% conducive because you need time to train and (laughs) there's less time and it requires like hours of alone and there's not a lot of alone time these days. But on the other hand, I actually feel like the reverse happened. I actually think that since I had a kid, I've become way better equipped as an endurance runner or an ultra runner. And it's interesting because I think it's really shaped how I view running and how I view like my own strength and capability. And also in some ways, like my lightness about it. I don't go as dark or as negative as easily. I think having a kid and a toddler especially has really helped me reframe my attitude in a lot of ways about other things. Because sometimes things that I used to think were really hard or really made me upset or I was really challenged by, I'm always like, yeah, that's nothing. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, it feels, it's weird. It feels like in some ways it's really, it's really helped me. And I actually feel like I'm stronger and more connected to the sport than I ever was before I had a kid. That's so
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. That something that you feared would take you away from it actually brought you closer to it. I
0: think, in some ways, you go through the newborn stage, and there were nights where you just feel like every new mother or most new mothers, parents, whatever, experience that where you're like, I may not sleep tonight. I may sleep an hour tonight. I will get up in the morning and I still have to be a parent today. And that experience of just like knowing that like I actually can survive and even sometimes thrive on very little sleep really put new perspective for me in terms of like when I'm doing a long run and I'm running overnight, I was like, "Oh, you can totally do this. This is no harder than it is to like get up and feed a baby every two hours or um, not sleep all night if you have a sick baby or a baby that won't eat or whatever. I just feel like it it shifted my perspective of what's actually hard. And it made the running part, the mental part of that, like the endurance, the, which I think is even more important than the physical part, it made that actually feel so much easier than it ever felt before.
1: Wow. So really, you should be thanking Colby for all he's done for your running.
0: I should. It's totally, it totally blows my mind that my mindset before I had a kid was that like it would just be the end. Of this thing that I love to do and I was negative about it and I think I had a lot of you know fear around it where actually yeah it's just made me stronger and I recognize that like my mental game is so much stronger than it ever was before and I think my ability to just find like less negativity around things like or to allow myself to go into a dark place I can talk myself out of it easier or I can sit with it and just be like is this really that bad? (laughs) Because it doesn't, this is time. You're out here by yourself. You get this alone time and that's a gift. (laughs) So
1: I've heard people talk about how after you have kids, you become a stronger runner or stronger at your sport. This is just female athletes in general. Do you think that's really related to that mental strength that you were just talking about? And have you noticed a big change in your physical endurance or your physical capabilities that's different from before baby?
0: It's weird. I I certainly think it has made me stronger and I don't know if I truly physically am stronger. To me, the mental makes up so much more of what you need to endure something that's long and hard I think the mental is maybe more important than the physical at times. Or actually, I would argue that it is more important than the physical. If you're going to do something that's like a hundred miler, you have to have a strong mental game. You have to have your head in the game because as soon as stuff starts to unravel, it's like with anything and your mind starts to unravel, then you're basically done because you work yourself up and you get anxious or you get like, I can't do this. And the, the more negative, like that spiral that you go down, the harder it is to get out of. And once you're in it and you get dark, then your body shuts down too. So I don't know. I don't know if it's the physical, if I can really say like I'm physically stronger than before I had a kid, but I can definitely say I'm mentally stronger. And I think that mental strength really does play into my physical strength. And it's made getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go run feel like totally normal (laughs) having a kid. It doesn't feel like a big adventure or something where I have to plan for a week. (laughs) 5 a.m. and run smart just feels oh it's just par for the course this is just what i'm gonna do today and and i feel like the even the pain component like when i'm logging the actual miles or the time on my feet i feel like i have this strength that is so it's so much more visible to me it's like more maybe potent than it ever was before and i i don't know what that comes from that mom strength or that parent strength but I think once you have a kid, it's just there. It clicks. It's like, you've done this other really hard thing, arguably the hardest thing. And and then all the other hard things don't quite seem as hard anymore. So yeah, I don't know. I've heard that too. And I believe it. I truly believe it. And I will say right after I had a baby and I know people wanted to tar and feather me for this. I know you're supposed to wait six, eight weeks. I didn't wait as long. I started running. I don't even want to tell people because they'll probably come after me for this. But I did start running a little earlier than recommended after I had coldy, And I will say that the first month was like horrendous. It was like starting from zero. I was like, Whoa, what's happening, which is normal, totally normal. But then a few months in, I was running some of the fastest miles that I had ever run. And I don't know if it was a mixture of hormones and adrenaline and baby energy. (laughs) Like, I really don't know. But I ran a really fast, half marathon I gave birth in April and I ran a really fast half marathon in December and I really surprised myself I was like I don't know where this is coming from but I will take it
1: that question about when you come back after baby is (laughs) there's no right answer to that everyone has their own right answer and I love to judge other people for having a different right answer
0: yes and I will say I will not recommend that anybody do it on my timeline. I think you need to be on whatever timeline works for you. You need to stick to that and stick to your own plan. It's it's your body. So don't judge me for mine. And let's just, let's all just be happy for each other. I'm so defensive probably because when I posted that I went running, okay, I'll just say whatever, fine. It was a week, the Saturday after I had Colby, I joined run club and I only intended to run two miles but I went a little farther on accident. I ran four or five, I think. And I was slower than I think I've ever been. I was like, whoa, this, this was crazy. But just getting out of the house for that time for me was so valuable. And it really helped me mentally. And I, was, I had not slept, as you don't, in the first week after you have a baby. My body felt crazy. My boobs were like squirting milk, the whole thing. But I will say that the mental thing I gained from that, just like that simple joy of getting outside and not having anybody tethered to me was very important for me.
1: And that is not for everybody. That makes sense. It's like we just talked about. It's not just about the physical, it's about the mental too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes getting to step away from that newborn baby is the best fucking thing. Yeah. Can you talk about a time when you talked yourself out of a dark place, whether that's in the middle of a race or in the middle of the night with a baby or... Whatever it is, just a time that you remember where you were able to find your way out of that anxiety and doom spiral.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have so many. One of the the examples that always comes back into my mind because it's so funny when I retell it, but I don't want it to be, I think I don't want people to get lost on the humor component of it because it really, I really was in a dark place when this was happening, even though now when I retell it's pretty funny. I was doing the Orcas Island 100-miler, and this is before I had a kid, so this is pre-parent Jamie, and it was my very first ever 100-miler without any pacer. You couldn't have pacers for this course, and it was also my highest elevation gain course in 100, mile, 100 miles. It was like 27,000 feet of like elevation gain, which is a lot in case you aren't aware. It's a lot. (laughs) Um, You climb up a mountain four times, essentially like up the face of this mountain four times. Anyways, and I'm on the final, the fourth and final go. And I'm on the power line climb, which is what it sounds like. It's exactly what it is. You're underneath power lines that are going straight up the face of the mountain. And it's a pretty excruciatingly long climb, especially when you're on number four and you're at mile 70 something and change, right? And I start like having these weird, like, I I started to cry. It had started to lightly snow, like little, just like snowflakes dropping here and there. And I started to think, this is it. This is where I don't finish. This is it. I'm done because I have been in a cold weather race before. And this is what took me out. I'm going to get too cold. I'm like, this is it. This is what's going to throw me off. I'm not going to make it. Also, I can't make it up this hill. I can't do it another time. I'm not moving very fast. I feel crazy. And so then I'm like crying. Then I start just like processing the fact that I'm crying. And I'm like just telling myself, you cannot do this. While at the same time, I'm still just walking and trudging up this hill. Like I'm doing my best to hike. And then I have this moment where I'm like fully just there's nobody around me, thankfully. And I'm like fully raging. I'm just like this like blah 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 and I'm like in this place of just like I sound crazy and I'm like mad at this thing that I have chosen to do (laughs) and I'm pissed off and I'm mad at the weather I'm mad that it's snowing I'm mad at the hill I've convinced myself in that moment you're not gonna finish this is where you fail you're so dumb for being out here who do you think you are to think you could climb 27,000 feet and do this unsupported all of a sudden in the distance I see this green, I I thought it was a jacket and I had remembered that, well, this is where I'm not sure if this is memory or if this is just what my memory decided. I remembered that the race photographer, he's a photographer that's often at ultra races, Glenn Takayama. I remembered thinking he was in this green jacket and I decided, or my mind decided for me that it was Glenn hunched over on a log, ready to snap photos. So I thought to myself, I am not going to pass him on this hill looking like this. I was like, you need to suck it up. You need to look like you're moving. You need to start picking up your feet. You need to stop crying. And I was like, because you're going to pass Glenn and he's going to take a photo of you and you are not, not going to be sulking. So I trudge up the hill. I get a little closer. I get a little closer. I'm smiling. I'm like, see, Glenn, I'm smiling. And as I get closer, I realize it is not Glenn at all. It is just moss on a log. And it was completely my mind playing tricks on me. I was hallucinating him and whatever. But the funny thing was, is it was just this mental shift of you're not going to think this anymore. And I just didn't let myself be negative. And I was like, you're done with that. And I just went up the hill. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's all it takes. <laughs> you just literally have to be like, get out of this dark place, dummy. And whether you think someone's gonna see you in that state or whatever it is but I just had to yeah it was just a literal shift of my mind and I had to talk myself out of it and with the help of a Glenn hallucination
1: it's pretty incredible all it took was you're just changing your mind about something
0: yeah and I do that all the time I'm sure you do it too with kids there's a lot of times where I go into these like dark places and you're frustrated with something or especially oh my gosh when they're newborns and I think it was the second night in the hospital. And I remember, I give up, he won't eat, I can't do this, he won't latch. And that took more than just mind over matter. At that point, for me, this was like, this is why I think having a kid, I I don't know scientifically, but I think sometimes having a kid does actually make you in fact, a stronger runner, (laughs) is because I think that was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to, that was like the challenge that I had to face, And I couldn't talk myself out of that dark place. I needed people to come in and support me during that time. And I think that kind of taught me how to just, I don't know, to realize when something really sucks or something is really hard and there's no longer anything you can do to solve your own problem. And then to know the difference when you can actually solve it or when you're maybe just like inventing things that don't exist, whether it's a hallucination of a person on a log taking your photo or that the, the snow or the rain or the weather or the terrain is going to like cause you to fail or not finish.
1: Do you have any mantras that you keep coming back to or that you rely on when you're slipping down that slope or trying to climb out of it?
0: Yeah. It's by tried and true. I say it all the time. And I took it, my friend actually, John Hayato. Hi, hi, John, <laughs> if you're listening. He one time just told me this and I don't even remember why I think I was maybe about to embark on my first 100-miler, and he said to me, as I was doubting myself that I could do it, I will never forget. He just said to me, look, you just have to embrace the highs and manage the lows. And he's so right. I feel like that has been something that I think about often, and it works. The more you manage the lows, you, you don't necessarily just say, okay, this doesn't hurt. You're invincible. This won't hurt you. You're like, no, this hurts. But can I push through this? Can I still keep going? And I do that all the time in endurance sports. And I think we all do it in life. You have to figure out how to embrace those high points and then also have a plan for how you manage the low points. And for me, in a race, sometimes managing a low point can be as simple as finding a rhythm for reminding yourself when to go again. In the middle of the night or late into a race, Often what I'll do is if I need a little extra pep or motivation, if my legs are just feeling heavy and they hurt like hell or like my feet are blistered, I'll tell myself, okay, okay, it hurts. It totally hurts. And that's understandable. You've been on your feet for a really long time. Your legs are sore. That makes sense. It doesn't feel good to run really. That also makes sense. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk and you're going to count to 50. And at the end of that count, you're going to run. And you're going to count to 150 and then you're going to do it again. And each time you're going to go up (laughs) by 50, the run, not the walk. And you do that and you play games with yourself and, and eventually you realize, you know what, it hurts, but it's not hurt. That's debilitating. It's just something that it hurts. It's uncomfortable, but I can actually get through this. And so I think that it's an important strategy, just like in anything in life in running in whatever endurance sport or endurance parenting um, that's in front of you. (laughs) yeah I love that what do you like
1: about endurance sports
0: the one thing that really honestly drew me to this sport the trail running in particular is I like to be outside and I love to climb up hills and that sounds weird but it's or it sounds like I love to climb hills and I just mean that there's something so exhilarating to me about doing something that is very hard and then getting to the top and being like, ah, okay, I got this. And I I love that. I just love that feeling of accomplishment. I like the exhilaration of a challenge. I like pushing myself and seeing what I'm capable of doing, both from a mental and a physical standpoint. And then there's these times, these really weird things that happen in ultras. I get this weird euphoric state. And it's not the whole time. It usually starts and stops. But I go into these really nice euphoric states for a while where everything feels so freaking magical. I imagine it's like being on the best drug that you can find. It's My brain feels all like warm and fuzzy. I love my surroundings. Like sometimes it could be I like the glow of my headlamp or I like the way that the trees are like rustling in the wind or I like the view from the top of the hill. But whatever it is, there's this thing that just triggers my brain and I go into this really happy place. And so when I know that I can find that every time, <laughs> so it's like, my next hit, must get it. Can
1: you talk about your progression from doing what we call regular distances and then working your way all the way up to 100-mile races?
0: The progression for me to ultra running or longer <laughs> race running was pretty quick. I really... I started running early in life, mostly as a way to keep in shape for sports, but I never really paid much mind or attention to it or thought of myself as a runner. And then I started, I entered a trail run on a whim and I think I was in college and I won. <laughs> it was a 10K and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not bad at this thing. I should do it some more. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was super fun. I liked being on the trail. I like moving quick. I like trying to find my footing and leaping over things and seeing all the sights. And then from there, I started entering some more 10Ks, and then it was half marathons, and then I tried some road marathons. And I'll be honest with you, I think a road marathon is one of the hardest things I've ever done, and I suck at them. I suck. Like I don't like full road marathons because I'm not good at them, (laughs) for one, and also because they just hurt. And I was feeling like this kind of weird, almost like this weird discouraged feeling where... I was like decently okay with a half marathon distance or a 10 K and I could get to this like 18 mile mark. And I was like, I know that I can keep going, but for some reason I get to mile like 22, 24 and I break and it's my body just can't do this. And I found it to be frustrating because I couldn't figure out like why I was feeling that way. And I would see these other people like I run marathons every month. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then a friend of mine was doing a 50 miler and he, it was his first. And he asked me to come pace him for the last 13 miles. And I had never done anything like that. And I was like, sure, that sounds great. So I drove down, it was the American river 50 and I was in San Francisco at the time. And I remember driving out to Auburn, California and meeting him there and doing the last 13 with him. And I loved it. I like loved every moment of supporting him out there on the trail. I loved running with him and chatting with him. I loved chatting with all the other runners out there. I loved watching, and this sounds horrible, and I don't mean that I want to watch him suffer, but I loved watching him go through the what i described like that euphoric state till he would go really quiet and shuffle his feet and he would keep his eyes on the ground and he didn't speak and you could tell there was just stuff going on he was battling probably his inner monologue of you can't do this and then he would come back and he would be like okay we got this woohoo and you're like whoa this is crazy the mind is so crazy and after that i signed up for my first 50 <laughs> i like was like oh i'm in <laughs> never looked back. I I still find that I would prefer to do a 50k or a 50 mile or a 100 miler on trails than I would over a road marathon. It works for me on so many levels. And yeah, so I don't know, regular runners, like that that shit is so hard.
1: So funny that your breaking point is 25% of the races that you run.
0: (laughs) I know, I don't get it either. I wish I could tell you there was some other reason. And I don't have the tools to also mentally talk myself out of that breaking on the road, I just there's something so weird to me about being on the pavement. My joints ache so much, and then I just I can't pull myself out. I wasn't meant for the road.
1: Uh, I think we talked a little bit before on this podcast about how you really turned a corner in terms of figuring out your nutrition for hundred milers. How did you figure that out?
0: Figuring out nutrition was really hard for me. That was my biggest struggle, other than just running long distances is hard. And I was bad. I was really bad with the nutrition piece. I think I used to default to this place of if I'm a runner, then that means I only need to eat super clean. Like I just eat avocados and sweet potatoes and some brown rice and that's it. That's what I should be eating and living off of when I'm on doing these runs. But the problem was, is how much I like those foods on any given day I didn't always want to eat them. I was out on the course, like I could eat them sparingly, but I like didn't want it every hour or two hours or whatever it is that you're fueling, um, depending on the length of your race. So then I just didn't eat enough and not for any other reason than I just didn't really have the knowledge um, or experience to know better. And I wasn't giving myself permission to just eat whatever just made sense in the moment. And so it took me a few races. It took me gosh, I can't even think how many DNF. I had a few DNFs for hundred milers, my first one and my second one. And, and both times, especially the first and the second one, it was nutrition that just took me completely out. I, I didn't get it right. And then as soon as I stopped or wasn't taking in enough calories, then I stopped being able to drink enough water and I wasn't drinking enough water. And then once you've done that, your race is over for the most part. Like your body shuts down and gross things happen and vomit happens and you know, it can be dangerous. So I put myself in that position more than once. And I, I didn't, I, I just felt like really defeated. Cause I was like, I feel like but I'm eating like these really healthy for me foods, and isn't that what you do to like fuel and be a super athlete? Um, And then I had a trail angel, Andrew, my friend, Andrew, who ran with me on my very first ever hundred finish. He ran the whole damn thing. We ran together and I basically just copied him. I ate when he ate. I drank when he drank. I took salt tabs when he took salt tabs. (laughs) I was on his nutrition schedule, even if we were eating slightly different things. And what I realized was, oh my God, you actually have to eat all the time. Like you have to eat early and you have to eat often and you have to keep it going and you have to drink early and you have to drink often and you have to keep it going. There's no like wiggle room there if you just keep fueling. And so I think once I had watched Andrew do that and just modeled what he was doing, it was like, oh, it clicked for me. It isn't about if you eat a sweet potato and an avocado and brown rice, like that isn't what the magic bullet is here. It's going to be like, no, it's did you eat enough calories (laughs) um, over the course of this adventure? Uh, Did you drink enough water? Um, And that stuff matters. And so now I don't as much have this strict, I have to eat these kinds of foods only. I just know what kinds of foods I might want. And a free for all. It's whatever I'm feeling. <laughs> it's snickerdoodles, it's gummy bears, it might be soup, it could be sweet potatoes, it could be rice, it could be crackers, it could be chips, it's just whatever. Just eat. Quesadillas, you just eat. <laughs> and you eat enough and you eat often enough and you drink enough. And I think the less stress around it, the less over analyzing it, it just became easier. And that completely transformed the sport for me. That's how I finished. And I really do Thank Andrew, for really showing me the ropes, just watching him and modeling him. He got me through the finish line. Um,
1: For a long time, you ran without any kind of tech. You didn't even have a watch or anything to listen to. And I think sometimes you still run without music or podcasts. What do you think about when you run?
0: Best thinking. Sometimes. Sometimes I just face out. But honestly, when I'm running, especially if I'm running an ultra, I've tried for five minutes to put on the podcast or music. And then I just, but I'm in a race for whatever reason, it doesn't feel right. And I just end up taking it off. And I wish I could have a recorder and I could just like, talk out loud because I always have all these brilliant ideas. I feel so clear-headed and so focused. And it's like shower thoughts, but times a million. And then of course, I forget most of them the next day because I go through all the sleeplessness and hallucinations and et cetera. But yeah, it's crazy. It's everything. There's nothing off limits. Sometimes I think about, work and not in a bad way but I think about like things I want to do you know what we could be doing differently how we could grow I get creative my brain is firing sometimes I think about family or friends or myself I do a lot of self-reflection especially ever since having kids sometimes I'll just get super emotional and I'll just think about somebody that I could have been a better friend to or I'll get super emotional and I'll think about like a parenting moment or something I wish I could have done differently. I, I found myself having ugly cries while I run and then quickly being like, okay, you're going to run into somebody <laughs> and you're going to feel really weird about this. So you need to wrap it
1: up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. They make me emotional. How did your running change when you started wearing a watch?
0: It's complicated because in some ways I don't love that I've become so dependent on it. I think it's so freeing to run without one. But on the other end, I would say that the data sort of empowers me. And I don't know if I really want to run without a watch anymore. There's something for me that's so fulfilling and just being able to say, I climbed a thousand feet this morning, or I did eight miles and I did it at this pace. I find the data to be for me something where I can look back and see my progress that I've made and I can feel really proud or I can tell myself, yeah, you did this hard thing. Look at you. You ran, you gained 2,500 feet in seven miles today. Go you. And yeah, I, I. but then there's the part of me too that sometimes it's nice just to be free and just go run and not think about it. But in the same way that I don't listen to music, I'm also not glued to my watch. I don't glance down all the time. Am I on pace? I actually don't even usually have the pace feature on. What I usually just have is a running clock. And sometimes I can see the mileage. It's really the after for the watch for me that I appreciate. I I have a watch that can connect to my phone. I can get notifications and all kinds of crap on my watch, but I turned that shit off. I don't want any of that.
1: Let's talk about training because you talk about how you're not glued to your watch. But I know you also set pretty ambitious training plans for yourself. What do you think about your training for endurance and how obsessive do you get about numbers? I'm a
0: competitive person. I'm really competitive <laughs> with myself and I like to achieve goals. And so I like having those goals because I feel like I want to hit them and I want to surpass them. And so for me, it's not so much about, is this going to impact race day performance or me as an athlete, my partner makes me training plans for races and we joke that he's coach Casey and I like to get my little green dots on my chart that he makes me, but I also know in the back of my mind that it's not the biggest deal. If I didn't get 6,000 feet a game in the week and I only got three, I know ultimately I'll be fine. But yeah, I I like the data. I like to have something to work towards. I'm not obsessive where I get really upset if something doesn't happen, but I'm definitely obsessive with it where it will inspire me to wake up earlier so that I can go run an extra hill or it will inspire me to do hill repeats if I know I need an extra 300 feet for the week. A data that I use to really just keep myself motivated and accountable, I think. I'm obsessed with that.
1: Let's switch over to talking about after a race. What does recovery look like for you after 100 miles or even just 50 miles?
0: Recovery is all about eating (laughs) and sleeping. And people have differing theories around this. But I actually enjoy running. When I say running, I should say a faster-paced walking the day after because I like to not let my legs get totally stiff. I would also argue that a bike ride or a stationary bike or whatever, yoga, anything you can do just to kind of move things around always feels better for me than just sitting still. And then I just give myself a break. I just do really light activity for the next week or two. And I, you know, there's no goals left. It's just I look at the next month as something where it's okay. You just did a hard thing and now let your body recover. But that never means for me, and this is me personally, I know people have differing opinions about it. It's, it doesn't mean for me just sit for the full month or even the full week after. It means do movement, but maybe just take a layer off of it. Oh, you feel like running a mile? Go run a mile. You feel like running three miles at a really easy pace and getting coffee in the middle and then maybe running back or walking back? Cool. For me, it's just finding that balance of okay, I'm not training in this moment. And I'm just going to let myself recover. And I'm going to do what feels good and just move. I have done the thing where when I was younger, and I was getting into the sport where I took full weeks off after an event. And honestly, for me, that just made the soreness last longer. (laughs) And it made it even harder for me to get back out. And so I find that if I just keep it steady and going, it just helps me mentally and physically move on. And then like I said, it's a big part of recovery is just eating and eating whatever you feel like and of course hydrating duh and sleep because often you don't get enough sleep or you don't sleep at all if you're doing a really long race and yeah giving yourself that permission to sleep in and to have yeah just that time to take a load off but I don't have any other hard and fast recovery rules yoga is a constant that's just part of my routine and I think it's super important to recover and just stay mobile and not let everything just get stiff and crazy.
1: It sounds like you don't let anxiety around training or racing or recovering control you.
0: I can't. I've tried to be a more anxious runner before, but the minute I start taking something too seriously, what I have found that does, it just doesn't work for me. It sucks the fun out of it. And so I have to approach things with a degree of, I have to remember that it's an activity that that I'm choosing to do. I'm not an elite ultra runner, right? I'm no Courtney DeWalter. Nobody's sponsoring me to run their race. I'm not getting paid. So I try and keep that degree of, I don't know, knowledge and sanity about me. Of course, I want to do well. I want to get better and get faster. And I want to surprise myself and feel accomplished. But at the same time, I also don't want to run myself into the ground. And I'm really conscious of that. And I think it's just partially knowing myself and knowing how I react to things and how I react to stress. I think that awareness helps me not let myself get too anxious or too worked up. A thing that I used to do, and I do still quite a bit, is I'm pretty weird about the starting line. And I know (laughs) you probably know this about me. I tend to need to walk away from certain people at start lines of races or not be around Anybody for a little bit, anybody meaning other racers, because sometimes that anxious energy that seems to happen, especially at start lines or when people are all talking about the race and how they're going to do and what's your this and what are you aiming for today, I have to excuse myself from that. And if people start doing that, and I, if I walk away from you and you've met me at a race, that's probably why. That doesn't work for me. It makes my insides feel really funny. I get anxious. I take on other people's energy and so that's just something I've learned about myself I have to be softened into this and I have to remind myself that this is fun I want to be here, I want to do this and if I overly stress myself out or talk it up too much then it becomes bigger in my mind than I think it really needs to be and it's just one foot in front of the other you're just going to go out and run you've done this a hundred times and if you do or you don't hit that time goal you're still going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're still a cool person so you're fine I love
1: that What's a benefit of endurance racing or endurance sport that maybe you didn't see coming?
0: It sounds cheesy, but self confidence. I think I've gained so much in terms of my own confidence and my feelings of worthiness from running. And it's not so much the act of it, the sport of it itself, but it's that discovery of your own strength or when you do push through something hard that thing that it just does to your brain. You just feel like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I I can do this. I can do a lot of things. It's given me a lot more confidence in myself and and also just helped me give less fucks. I used to be super precious about pooping. I was raised in a household with very old-fashioned grandparents. And I lived with my grandparents for a long time when I was little. And the rule of our house was little girls don't burp they don't fart I still don't know how to burp to this day I literally cannot force myself to burp never been able to and we don't talk about poop and I think I carried that with me for far too long and this sounds really funny but the other thing I got was it allowed me to be really human and I think once you start doing this sport you realize how silly it is to care about the fact that you have to poop or (laughs) that you fart or that you burp or that you're human because you find yourself peeing on the side of the trail or heaven forbid, many times you find yourself having to go and take a crap in the woods somewhere and you just get over yourself. And I think that's such a lovely thing to take with you. And, and I'm thankful for it. I'm glad I'm not the same, you know, young lady <laughs> who was afraid that people might know that I just pooped in the bathroom. That's so ridiculous. We all know that everybody poops. We know that you poop. It's fine. And now I'm just like, yeah, I have to go poop or I pooped or whatever. And I, that's, it's liberating. (laughs) (laughs) I knew this conversation was going to go there, but it did.
1: I'm so glad it did because my four-year-old is obsessed with poop right now. And it's literally the punchline for everything we talk about. (laughs) Somehow it always circles back to poop. So (laughs) this just feels normal life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's great. I I think we should let ourselves and also kids talk about that because I think we should try and find ways to be less ashamed of our humanness. And I think that's what ultra running gifted me was be less ashamed of being human, but you'll be running with friends early in the morning and fart slip out. It just happens. I love that. There's no judgment or drama around that. You're just like, Oh, oops. (laughs) (laughs) And we just talk about it. And it's so it's liberating. And I feel like it's important because especially as ladies, ladies, I'm going to use that term because it feels very applicable But I feel like as women, we're often taught that we're we're precious flowers and we we don't discuss those things. And also we probably don't do those things, but we do. That shame that comes with it. Oh my God, I had to go poop and somebody was around. You don't need that. Like, why do you have to carry that around? Or, oh my gosh, I farted and heard it. It's okay. And then what? Move on with your life. Who cares? (laughs)
1: Thanks for joining us for another episode of shiny objects. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate you leaving a rating and a review on your podcast platform of choice. And please check out our sister podcast, the activist that's active with an E I S T. Thanks for being here and see you next time.